Welcome back, friends. This is mile 58 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. And I'm going to start with a sentence I have looked forward to for several months now on the show. Benji, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. I've returned from my pilgrimage to discover the meaning of running. Still don't know it, but I've returned. You have returned, but you have zero answers for us. As usual. Yeah. Some things never change. Last I saw you a couple weeks ago, you were elbow deep in some Brunswick stew. That is true. Shout out to Hey Good Grantham for the recommendation. Was it tasty? I actually gave him the rest of my Brunswick stew. I was uh, <laughs> a little full from my pork that I ate prior to that. So yeah. spread the love. Were you, were you a touch underwhelmed with the stew? I just gave him a shout out on the recommendation and now I have to go back and retract the statement. Because <laughs> it was quite underwhelming. Uh, well, we're trying this via satellite, I think. I'm in the billiards room. You are coming at us from the research triangle. What's the weather like there today? It's really warm here. It's like 87 degrees and sunny. Mm. Uh, running weather this morning, though. Speaking of that, before we get in, we got so much stuff that we have to get into. But first, you always do this. You fall off the grid. You go on a pilgrimage. You stop running, whatever it is. And then you just pop a race on everybody. So I don't even know, what's that been? Two months ago now, you found one of the few competitive endeavors currently happening in the United States under social distanced, limited participant conditions. You put in some serious miles. Uh, tell the people. Yeah, so I took part in the longest day 100K, which was put on by Matthew Hammersmith and the Without Limits uh, running group. Uh, they did a phenomenal job having a massive start area, allowing us all to set up camps away from each other. So if you felt inclined to social distance and wanted to be kind of left alone there, they really created a good environment. But it was an elimination style race. It was a two mile loop with a time cutoff for each loop that progressed every single loop. Um, you couldn't start the next loop until the cutoff had happened. So the goal was to make it at least 50K, which was 31 miles. And after doing that, every loop was just gonna be, I don't know, icing on the cake. Yep. So I ended up making it 43 miles mm. um, before going the full body cramps and having to get golf it off of the course. Yeah, my wife was such a trooper. She ran 50K that day and then broke down camp while I was throwing up in the back of her car and packed everything up. She, she's a great partner. My kind of woman. Yeah, but it was a blast. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a really fun event. I was out there later in the day when you were maybe starting to, to struggle just a little bit, but... Part of that might be, I'm not sure you were incredibly serious about your training leading up to the event. Also, as though, usual. Yeah, as usual. Also, though, how about our guy, friend of the show, J.D. Shaw, who had a great showing there. And then he's just been crushing it. He went out on another 50K a couple weeks later and had a great performance. He just ran a big race maybe a week or two ago. So it's cool to see some of the trail stuff with smaller crowds happening. 
and then of course now we have all these races uh, that are happening. Diamond League circuits back up. We got marathoning to talk about. There's some stuff that is going to happen this fall that I don't want to be a peddler of false hope, but I have some optimism that someday I may race again. I keep hammering these long runs as if I'm training for something. So I'm hoping it happens. And I'm sure some of our listeners are out there continuing to train. Benji, where would you like to start? Dealer's choice. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, we got to go with the biggest news. Which is? What do you think the biggest news is? Uh, I'm going to go Monaco 5,000 meters. Am I okay. right? Okay. You are correct. <laughs> we, we still have our, our connection. Okay, Monaco, Diamond League is back on. Last weekend at Monaco, what an incredible day of racing. It's always a place people go, even on the international circuit, to run really fast. But something about it felt faster when we're breaking records, and it's the first race that we've seen in a long time. There is no rust busting occurring here. Men's 5,000 meters. We'll start there. Joshua Cheptegei breaks a 16-year-old world record. I believe that is the longest the world record had stood ever. That Kenanisa Bekele's record from 2004. Cheptegei runs 12.35.37. That is sub 402 per mile, which just makes my stomach hurt to think about uh, an incredible performance at 22nd ish personal best for him. What are the takeaways, Benji? Uh, Joshua Cheptegei is really, really strong. Yes. Uh, it was such a boring thing to watch. Uh, and I think estimate to how in tune he is with his body um, if you've ever played Need for Speed or Mario Kart, you see like little energy level and you're like slowly using your nitrous. He timed that perfectly. And it was such an evenly paced race. And with the Bekele world record, we saw him kick and just destroy the last 400 meters. But we didn't get that same experience with Cheptegei. And it's a testament to how strong he is, but it's also like a little boring as a fan couple points to add to that one how come when i go to the track and i'm doing my reps on the inside rail the light doesn't light up with world record pace for me to indicate i i gotta talk to some people about that but yes. <laughs> more significantly you're right there's la i think the last two splits were right around 59 or 60 and he's averaging like under 60.5 per lap right just super even paced. There is nobody anywhere near him. And you were right. He looked incredibly strong. We know him as a 10,000 meter world champion from uh, last year in Doha. I I'm just going to go ahead here. We haven't had Jan in a little while. So, so let's get big here. Are we yes. nearing a place, depending on what Cheptegei does the rest of this year, maybe next year in Tokyo, do we start mentioning him as the greatest ever on the track? I would say no. Hmm. He only has the one world title to his name. Um, if you look at other people in that conversation, Kenanisa Bekele, Eloid Kipchoge, you've got a plethora of championships to their name. 
Uh, he's not proven in a championship setting. He may be the greatest 5,000 meter time trialer that's ever lived and maybe will ever live. But I, I don't think he's in that goat conversation yet. Yeah, I just got a little antsy and wanted to create some enthusiasm. I thrive off of that. I agree with you. He's got to win some big races, more big races, I should say. And we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe he can cement that legacy at the Olympics in Tokyo. Do you think he's the favorite for the 5,000 in Tokyo? Yes. You do? Yes. Your thoughts? I'm not convinced. Who's your favorite? Who? I, I don't know that I have one. <laughs> so that's a terrible <laughs> I don't have anything to back it up, but like... You've got Mohamed and other guys who've been in the mix and closed well and finished higher in the 5,000 meter distance than he has. I'm not sure he has the foot speed. I believe he has a 337, 1500 PR. Um, and that's, that's great at the NCAA level. You're a top three guy, but you need a lot faster closing speed to be competitive in the 5,000 at the Olympic games. Fair. We know to win a 5,000, you're going to need to close something really fast, way, way faster than 59, right? Yes. And it would, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we, we have some, like you've, you've seen the Bowerman group kind of running races, time trials, whatever they're doing. When you have everybody together in a competitive setting in a championship style race, because this was anything but, this was an assault on a world record from the jump. My gut feeling is always the world record holder is the favorite. <laughs> it's hard to say no to. There is perhaps a bit of, I don't, maybe I'd say like Alan Webbish quality to him in that he's run Ooh. some like, uber fast races but is he necessarily the type of competitor that, like you're referencing who wins when there's six guys in the pack with 600 meters to go yeah and that unpredictability is what excites me a little bit with him because the olympic games are not going to be a replication of monaco and if we look back to his performance at the world cross country championships when he made so big of a move that he could barely walk to the finish line and he was crawling and falling over. I think we're in for a super exciting race in Tokyo. I've seen you make that move before. Have you? Yeah. Well, maybe it's just the part where you're just crawling across the line at the end. I've seen that. Wait, when did I do that? I believe in the race that you were just talking about when you had to get carted off the course. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> okay next in monaco what uh other highlights for you the ingerbritsen chariot rivalry yeah through more today and it is fun yes so uh we'll come to that in a, a good point they just ran in stockholm it's hard to call something a rivalry when i think it's like 10 to 0 one side timothy chariot and your boy jake the snake jakob ingerbritsen <laughs> dueled in Monaco in the 1500. It was a really strange race. There was an absolute hammer first lap from Chariot. The pacing was, I, I don't want to get too critical, but frankly, awful. It was yo-yo pacing. 
and he puts down a 52 second first 400. There is an incredible gap on the field at the quarter. The next group kind of slowly starts to, to chip away at it. Uh, the Ingebrigtsen brothers, Jacob Whiteman, who would finish in third and went sub 330 as well. That was a pretty cool performance. He surpassed Mo Farah on the UK all-time list in the 1500 with that performance. Right. Incredible. They cut the lead to like five meters going into the bell lap. Jakob gets on his shoulder, on Chariot's shoulder in the final 200, but Chariot holds off the challengers. You got three guys under 330. Chariot wins in 328.45. Ingebrigtsen breaks the European record, and I believe that makes them, they're both in the top 10 all-time fastest metric milers. I want to say they're like sixth and seventh or seventh and eighth. Wow. They came back today, so we'll kind of fast forward a little bit because we're going to talk about Stockholm, the follow-up Diamond League meeting, but they went 1-2 again today in a much more even controlled race right around 3.30. But that is becoming a bit of, I'll agree with you, a rivalry because Ingebrigtsen's still 19. He's not even in his prime, and we're seeing him run lightning fast times. And you're talking about dueling against one of the greatest of all time. Meanwhile, women's 5,000 looked like it might set up as Safan Hassan chasing a world record. She actually stepped off the track at 4,000 meters, but the world champ, uh, Helen O'Beary, gets the win. And Oregon grad, Jessica Hull, Australian national record in 1443. So there was excitement in the men's 5,000, women's 5,000, the 1,500, Donovan Brazier and Bryce Hopple go 1-2 in the 800, the Americans. Nicely done, boys. And to the women's thousand, as my other highlight of the day, Laura Muir finishes second. She is the new British record holder. And Faith Kipyegon wins it in 229. <laughs> That's spicy. She is now the second fastest women's thousand meter runner of all time. So I'd say the biggest thing I take away from Monaco is this actually was a perfect setup to chase records because a few months ago, everybody's getting primed to run well at the Olympics. That gets delayed due to COVID. Now you have these huge training blocks where people could really focus on fitness and then finally get an opportunity to show it. So it was just the perfect setup for the first big meet back to racing. Benji, anything else you want to add on Monaco? I've got nothing on Monaco. Nothing on Monaco, baby. What else is going on for you? Yeah, so let's talk about that Stockholm meet. We got to see the continuing, dom the continuing dominance of Donovan Brazier, mm. the greatest 800-meter runner on the planet right now. Let me pause you right there. No question about it. There was a mention during the Monaco coverage about Donovan Brazier, legitimate threat at the 800-meter world record. I thought that was a bold statement. So I agree with you and not the statement. I don't think that he is a legitimate threat for that world record. What's the ceiling? I think he can run 141 mid. Mm. 
and that would be a hell of a time. <laughs> I think he could be a better 1500 meter runner than he could be an 800 runner. I agree with you on that. Now, you know, my tried and true theory is always just move the guy up an event. It starts when you're like seven years old and continues for the rest of your life. Can he though, the 800 and, and before I ask the question, let me add, I agree with you because he looks so strong and smooth and effortless at the 800 meter distance. Can he win an 800 meter gold next year? He's definitely in the running. I, I don't want to say yes, because um, we've seen him choke and not make it out of rounds. So though he has obviously progressed as an athlete and is more consistent, he still does have a track record where there was some spottiness. Um, so I'm not going to just hand him the medal yet. The Benjamin I knew before he had the Brunswick stew made <laughs> declarative statements about races. And you have been nothing but wishy-washy today. <laughs> I'm burning some incense and I think it does something with my brain. I'm a little more Zen and open to things, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> You make fair points. I had hoped that maybe you would go ahead and pencil him in as a favorite. Uh, I do... I like your point, though, about his uh, struggling in rounds because there are other really good Americans. It's not like he can even coast to get on the team. He should be an absolute lock, number one American medal contender. But you don't just roll out of bed and advance when, for example, Bryce Hopple has been so competitive. Does Clayton Murphy run the 800? We don't know who all is going to be in there. But I, I'll take a different approach. I do think that there's potential we could look back on Brazier as maybe the – yeah, what the heck. I'll say it because you won't. He could become the best American 800-meter runner ever. Yes. But I don't know. That, that world record, sometimes when I'm just cold and lonely and, and sad – I turn on 2012 London and watch that 800 meters. And if, if that doesn't just get you, get you going, I don't know what will. That Rhodesia performance is, it's absolutely breathtaking, right? And if he breaks it, I want to be there watching. So you said you think you can see him becoming the best American 800 meter runner ever. What else is there that Donovan needs to do? It's about medals. 800 is not, looking back historically, not necessarily the strong, our strongest event. There have been some really good runners throughout time from Jim Ryan to Johnny Gray and to the current crop of guys. But I, I don't know that the competition there – and what, what am I doing? Why did I not say Dave Waddle in that? Yeah, I was thinking that because I have a panel hat on. <laughs> Yeah, a guy in a painter cap, obvious. And why do we immediately think of Waddle? The performance at the Olympics. It, it had nothing to do with the times he ran. He was an incredibly fast runner for his generation, but we think about him because of the championship performances. That, to me, is what Brazier would need to do to, to 
separate himself from the crowd of other really good 800 meter guys. Like right now, honestly, wouldn't you say 800 meter career Clayton Murphy has accomplished more? Ooh. Maybe I'm the only one who would say that. That's a good argument. I mean, as far as consistency goes, but Donovan's, He's got an Olympic medal. Donovan's a world champion. I mean, to me, there's no difference between the Olympics and world championships, except there's not other sports going on. See, I get that, but that's kind of you as like, this is just classic Benji, kind of like once a runner, elitist when it not, comes to running culture, because while it's the accomplishment is the same, the attention on the accomplishment is much less significant. So I don't think it's about just that there's other sports going on at the Olympics. I think that there's a lot more eyes on our sport at the Olympics. And that to me is why it may matter more. Most people who like to run, who go out, like a lot of the people who listen to us, who enjoy going out to jog, maybe they run a local 5K, they, they don't tune in consistently for the Diamond League and the world champs like you and I do. They count on us for those updates, but boy, did they watch the Olympics. I think it's a discussion, at least, the Brazier versus Murphy level of accomplishment. I think it, they're in the same sphere. Okay. Okay. Also at Stockholm, wow, we went to an interesting place there. Also at Stockholm, we had uh, Karsten Moorholm, 400-meter oh hurdles. Yeah, this guy's he's an animal. And I say that in a way of, like, just watch him race. He's screaming and beating himself for most of the race experience. 46.87 in the 400-meter hurdles. Second fastest all time. He is now the only man under 47 Weiss. I should verify that somewhere, but I was looking at the all-time list and I'm pretty sure he's the only guy under 47 twice. That is a European record. I, I saw that on Let's Run. Oh, okay, good. So it's true. That's, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> it wasn't the message board. <laughs> if it's on Let's Run, it's got to be true. He also then doubled back to win the flat 400 in just a touch over 45 seconds incredible day of performances from him he got made a little bit of contact on i think it was the last hurdle i'm kind of blank. it was either the next to last or last hurdle which maybe he looks back on as his opportunity to break a world record because he's within a tenth of a second he has emerged it was kind of last year he emerged as the guy in the 400 hurdles he has cemented that this year and he's another who needs the Olympics to happen to prove to the world just how great he is because he's not yet your world record holder. And I don't know that we'll ever look at him as the greatest until he adds an Olympic gold medal. When you think 400 meter hurdles, who's the first person who comes to mind? Well, I think Rye Benjamin. Mm. Yeah, and Rye Benjamin is the guy who has been right there neck and neck with Karsten Warholm. And I think Warholm's a little bit better. You know, my first thought is Edwin Moses, just with his streak of, of how many races he won in a row. 
Uh, Warholm, though, with performances like this, if he can get an Olympics in Tokyo, fingers crossed that this will happen next year, he might be the guy that we look as look at as the best on the hurdles ever. That was a weird sentence. As the best ever on the hurdles. In the 800 meters today for the women, it was Gemma Riki, 22-year-old Brit. She has been really exciting. That is Laura Muir's training partner. She went under two minutes today in the 800. She goes under two minutes in the 800. She beats an established Raven Rogers, one of the best 800-meter runners in the world. That mid-distance group that they have going there, because I think they also went one, two, three, the Brits in the 1500 with Laura Muir winning today. It's, I'm overstating this, of course, there's hyperbole here, but it has a little bit of taste of the Seb Coe, Steve Cram era of British dominance in mid-distance. Yeah, and to me, what was so special about that 800 meter race was how it was won. It was done the hard way. The final 200 meters was covered in under 30 seconds. Yes. And I think that shows perhaps the upside doing it the hard way of just how good Riki, who has just come onto the global scene really maybe in the past year of what she can become. My biggest story from Stockholm does not happen on the track. Yes, it's this question. Why is this on NBC Sports gold? Why didn't it just stop with NBC Sports and get this out for people to see? With so few sports happening right now, we are missing an incredible opportunity to grow the sport. It is a nearsighted decision to say, well, we sold NBC Sports Gold memberships for 75 bucks a year. We need to grab that extra cash in the short term. I can see you over the Zoom feed, rubbing your fingers together for the money. That is exactly right. If NBC and the decision makers at the Diamond League here at the USATF would take a step back and a deep breath and realize that they could give up that 75 bucks that they're getting right now from I don't know how many people, but I don't think it's a ton, and put this on channels that most of us get, even NBC Sports, but maybe NBC would be fantastic. NBC today had, uh, it's not Memorial Day, but they had the Indy 500. You could put this before that and a spectacular opportunity to grow the sport in the long term with record-breaking after record-breaking performance in the, the past two weeks. That's me on my soapbox. I'm upset about it. I want everybody to be able to watch the sport who loves the sports. And it's disappointing to me when we have, you know, there's very little sport happening. And we're watching now, like in the background, I have NBA playoffs on in the bubble from Orlando. And I've been watching the, the hockey and the Canadian bubble. Those two sports are seizing this chance to elevate their status on a national and global stage. And I don't know why in the world we can't do the same thing. Well said. Thanks, bud. You want to go to London? What do, you, do you have something else you want to talk about before we switch away from track? 
Yeah, I'm not busy. I can't afford a flight, but if you want to go. I'm buying. Do you want to oh, speak, great. Let's... Do you want to speak about the London Marathon or do you want to do you have something else on the track you want to talk about? Let's go to London. Okay. Other big headline coming out this week, coming up in the near future, we are within 2 months of a legitimate world marathon major taking place on the streets of London. The marathon is on for October 4th. That is the rescheduled event from the spring. This is an elite race only on a looped course around London. So not their traditional course, but something that could be really fast. The fields came out this week and we got some heavy hitters. Uh, Benji, men's field, women's field, maybe what's the one matchup or the one person there that you are most excited about? So obviously on the men's side, the conversation is Bekele versus Kipchoge. Mm. Uh, the two fastest marathoners of all time finally going head to head after a year where they both ran 201. Both of these men have taken the pandemic as a time to spend time with their families and really take a step back from training. I think this is really gonna be a testament of their coaches. I think it's gonna be more so their coaches going to battle that day, seeing who can cram the most preparation into a small window. And I'm excited to see how that unfolds. While the conversation is focused on those two, we do have Mosinet Garamu yes. um, in the race, and he's a 202 guy, and he belongs in the conversation as well. Yeah, and it, I don't think it stops there either. There's some other names who are worth mentioning, like Sisse Lima, Tamarat Tola, who have run some, some lightning fast times. Also, I'd add Sandre Moen. Maybe this is an attempt at the European record. We'll see what his, see what his fitness has been like. As a, he's a sub-206 guy who's trying to attack Moe's European record. And Moe is there, but as a pacer, running the 211 pace group for the guys who need to hit the Olympic A standard. But yes, Kenny B, Elliot Kipchoge, 201.39, 201.41, the two fastest ever. Interesting comment there about the, what their coaches do. I think that time off may benefit both of them. Uh, the balance that it creates, I think, is good. For Bekele, I like it from the perspective of his breakthrough. I don't It's silly of me to call it a breakthrough. Maybe his break back through last year. He had, had a lot of disappointments. You and I were down on him. Some time to get away, to refresh the mind, and not try to force another really good one. Kipchoge, I like it from the perspective he has been consistently so good for so many years and has always done a great job of balancing running and life, just the way they live in his training camp. And so I think that fit naturally into who he is as a runner. And I don't think either will struggle to be in shape for this. And so I am going right here on the seconds flat running program, I am going to guarantee a world record time in wow. London in October. It falls, it's Kipchoge, 
And I say this will be the fastest he ever runs. He never again runs faster than what you see him do on October 4th. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I think I already have a DVR'd. Kipchoge is going, you don't even need to watch. I'm going to tell you right now. Kipchoge goes one. No, he doesn't go one. I got, I got a little overzealous there. He goes 201.16, locked and loaded. I like that prediction. Let me add another prediction to it. I'll double down. Bekele is with him through 38 kilometers. Wow. And then EK just buries him. Does he finish? Yes. Some have been critical of him stepping off the course at times when it's not going perhaps as well as he would like. But yes, I think he will, he'll take second. Moen is going to go out faster than European record pace, but not get it because he's going to go out too hot. He's going to get caught up in the enthusiasm of the fast field. And he runs like 206 something. I am going to say Jared Ward. He is the big American name who will be in London. I say a personal best for Jared Ward. He might go under 209. I think he's got something to prove after Atlanta, and he was running really well leading up to Atlanta. I just made a lot of predictions. Do you want to make yeah. any? Absolutely. Uh, I'll make one prediction about the men's race. Please. Uh, Ken Anissa will not be on the starting line. Oh, it wouldn't, um, it wouldn't surprise me, but I hated to hear you say it. In his recent marathon builds, he's gone to training camp in Hungary, but he is so scared by this virus, he has chosen not to do that. And I am nervous that if things don't start to look much better, that he will decide to stay home um, and not risk getting sick so he can be there with his family. Now, my guess is... At this point, he and his, his team would have a sense of if that is his plan. But I guess you keep him in the elite field regardless if you're London to build up the hype for this event as this one time the two greatest get together. Is that your thought? Exactly. Yeah. No rumble in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, would, it would be disappointing. But Kipchoge gets a little bit of the elements that he had in his breaking two attempts here, where you likely have good weather, October in London, a looped course that's very favorable. While you're not going to get the pacers in and out of the race that you get in the illegitimate time trialing, there might be some competition. And I believe that competition is a greater force than even pacing in trying to push for a record. It would help my storyline and prediction quite a bit if Kenny actually gets on the line, but you've ruined that for me. How about this, though? You know who else is not on the line that I really wanted to see? Galen Rupp. Yeah, you're exactly right. I wanted to see Rupp because I thought maybe this could be where he runs the fastest time he'll ever run. This, to me, was his shot at the American record. I don't know how much that means to him, though. That might be why he's not there. Uh, he's probably thinking 
I need to prepare for Tokyo next summer. And maybe he wants to go somewhere before that where he can win. He looked great in Atlanta. Now, I, I believe it's his best marathon ever, even though he's run faster. Uh, thoughts on Rupp? Uh, so the word coming out of his training camp is that he's choosing not to go to work on his foot speed um, since he is still coming off of that Achilles surgery. So he is strengthening all that chain, getting some pot back so he can be competitive at the later stage in the marathon. Part of me wonders if this is a plan since he has such a time gap to also go in the 10,000 meters. Ooh. It would make a lot of sense getting the foot speed back. He doesn't have to run the marathon trials in the spring. Uh, if you consider February, spring. Yeah, it, I mean, he did it in Rio and was successful at it, so why not? This is probably going to be his last Olympic Games. I First, I love your connections to the Mike Smith training camp there, the, the word that you're getting out of the, the group. That was nice. That's a fun idea. That'd be really, really neat if he did that. I would guess it's more likely, and I, I, you know, I don't have the connections to Galen Rupp that you do. I know that he considers you, I don't want to understate it, but a confidant, I uh, presume. I think it's more of a play toward maybe Boston next year. Is that possible that he gets one there and tries to get a That'd win? Be great. Yeah, tries to get a win at Boston, perhaps. I wonder what the turnaround on that is to Tokyo. I, April is so it's probably like 12 to 14 weeks to come back on that. So that's definitely doable for an athlete of his caliber. His success throughout time combined with his success this year while being healthy at Atlanta, how you and I respect what Mike Smith does, both with Rupp and of course with his team at Northern Arizona. I'm not going to question the move. It was just a hope. They added a couple guys and a couple women to the field. And I just had a little bit of hope that maybe you'd see Rupp's name there with a shot to light one up. He, he's not run many races with pacers, many marathons. So it could have been his chance at a lightning quick time. Women, we have two American women chasing fast times in London. You have Sarah Hall, who, disappointing. DNF at, in Atlanta in February, but she had run some very fast races before that, put her on this course with a great field in London. And then the one that I just can't wait to see what she does because it's such an unknown is Molly Seidel. She was my sleeper pick in Atlanta. She came through big time. She ran 227 and some change you would have to think significantly faster opportunity in front of her here. That was her debut marathon. She has to have learned a great deal from the Atlanta experience. What says you, what do we get out of Molly Seidel in London? First, I hope we see Molly Seidel in London. Um, Gosh, you have been such a downer. It's no wonder I only bring you on once every few months anymore. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a pessimist, but I'm also a bit of a realist, I guess. 
I think if she's there, we see her run something incredible, something in the 224 to 225 range. Seems reasonable for someone of her caliber running their second marathon in that sort of atmosphere. Um, if you remember her in the NCAA circuit, when she was on the track, she had such a steady rhythm. She was the queen of going out and doing her own thing. I don't think she's going to get caught up in that front pack of five women who have ran under 220. I think she's going to ignore that and be solid and run her own race. And it could be something really special. So you're, you're making the comment about her maybe not being there because of her injury history? Yes. Yeah. I do agree with you that 224, 225-ish is, is very doable for her. So I hope we get to see her. I'll tell you who we won't see for certain. You're telling me all these people, you have all this inside scoop of people who aren't going to be in London for whatever reason. I can guarantee you one man we will not see. And that is a recent world record holder. As an aside, summer news that we haven't gotten to, Wilson Kipsang gets popped for doping. And it's sad. It's disappointing. I don't know that it's hugely surprising based on every performance he had after his world record. Any thoughts on him or what that, again, means for our sport? I, honestly, I feel bad for the people of Kenya. He was such a great spokesman for them. Having that world record, he became involved in politics. And it's such a rampant issue with Kenyan athletics, uh, the doping. And to see a hero and kind of a figure of good fall, it's just really sad for the youth who've been looking up to him. Yeah, that's well stated. It's, it's a disappointment more than anything else. And another thing that I, I hold my breath on a bit, even just seeing... Monaco and Stockholm and what we might see in London, not only has COVID created an environment in which you can lock into a great training cycle and not worry about over racing and making money on the race circuit all summer, it sure makes it hypothetically as well an easier situation to get by the testing. You know, it I'm just concerned. I will continue to be an optimist about it. There are plenty of guys that I still believe in. Kipchoge's one of them. Maybe I'm naive, but I hope that doesn't become a story out of this summer where we say, oh, we came back and Monaco was electric and London, they're chasing two hours and six months from now, everybody's getting popped. It's, it's sad we even have to go to that place. Yeah, right. That It becomes one of my first instincts. On, on a more positive note, I hope there is some optimism now for everyone out there that your favorite race may have a shot of happening again sometime soon. We see in Europe track races happening. We've had a few here. We didn't even get into Music City Distance Carnival, which had some great performances. And with appropriate testing, I, I have excitement for the more accurate and advanced and cheaper saliva-based COVID tests that are coming out. The one from, uh, I believe it was Yale University that was actually backed by the NBA Players Union gives some hope that we can have rapid and accurate testing results coming soon. That can be a big factor in making racing more, more possible. It may not be until we have a vaccine that the biggest 
urban marathons are happening again, but there's, there's a little glimmer in my eye again, Benji, that sometime around the corner, we can race again, not just at a few small races or elite track meets, but the, all of us who love to share that experience with our running community that is about so much more than our time and place, we might get that again someday soon. Absolutely. And on that note, with the update to the testing uh, procedures, uh, it's super exciting to see the Tour de France going to happen. Um, I think that's a great sign of things to come. And it, it looks like we are trending towards normalcy rather than away from it at this point. I can't wait for the Tour. You have been maybe more of a cycling aficionado than myself. I enjoy it. I enjoy really all the endurance sports. There's something about the beauty of the course at the tour that has always been my number one reason for watching. My infamous summer of Poison Ivy several years ago, I watched the tour every stage, both daily showings, and just got locked in the beauty of the countryside in France and Belgium. And I can't wait for the tour to kick off here. You're right. It's, it's another just great sign of of hope of what we can have. And I think on the morning of October 4th, when I sit down to watch London, I'm going to start to feel that again in a way that we haven't seen now in months. And then it'll just be fingers crossed as to when you and I are back on starting lines again in the near future. All right, Benjamin, it was a pleasure to have you guest star with us once again. Great to see you doing well, my friend. Brunswick Stew or not, you look fantastic. The people don't know what they're missing. Benjamin hasn't cut his hair in a how long now? Uh, it was February, so I guess six months now. Yeah, it looks stunning. So we will we will wrap mile fifty-eight there. I'm gonna get back to playing billiards here. Benji, what do you have for the evening, my friend? I'm just gonna sit down and curl up with a good book. What are you reading right now? Uh, so I just finished uh, Sacred Hoops by Phil Jackson. Excellent. Yeah, great read. I read 11 Rings by him last week. Yeah. Um, I'm just buying up all his books. It's, it's great. He takes a lot of influence in his coaching style from Zen teachings, Christianity, and the Lakota Indians. It's really cool how he incorporates spirituality in his direction of the team. I've read both books, highly recommend both as well. I just finished rereading Dina Castor's book, Let Your Mind Run, that she came out with a couple of years ago on the mental side of, of training. Again, I read it, and at the end of each chapter, I was like, dang, I want to go out and rip a workout right now. It's just really? super uplifting and a lot of really strong thought on when you get to the dark places, particularly in a workout, how you can work your way through it mentally. So I'm going to give that a big time recommendation for everybody as well. We look forward to uh, talking to everybody again soon, and we will see you next time on the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. As always, if you have questions or comments, get in touch with the show, email us, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear your thoughts. 
Everybody have a wonderful week. Stay well. <laughs>